Good to see everyone this morning on a Sunday morning. Who, who enjoys a Sunday morning? Yeah. Well, it's half the people in the room, so it's a lot of familiar faces, which is awesome. Uh, we love the church here. We love, um, we love Liam and Shannon, so it's really cool to be able to come and, um, and preach this morning on Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday. For all the Pentecostals in the room... I'm not preaching from Acts chapter 2, so you'll have to forgive me, but I believe the Holy Spirit's here. Amen. Um, There is, there's a few times in the Bible where Jesus appears to, or he's with his disciples out in the boat on the sea. Have you ever read any of those times? Have they ever spoken to you? They've been speaking to me lately. It's important when you read your Bible, it's important that you find yourself in there. Do you ever do that? You read the Bible, but you need to find yourself in the Scriptures. You need to find yourself in there so the Holy Spirit can speak to you. I love exegesis. I love going through the historical context and it's speaking to us today. But it is so important that the Word comes alive in your heart. You need the promises of God to be quickened in your life so that you can grab a hold of them and they become a reality for you. Amen? And there's a couple times Jesus is with the disciples and one time he's in the boat with them. And it's uh, Mark chapter 4 and he's out out on the sea and he's in the boat with them. He's sleeping in the boat and there's a big storm right? And they learn through that lesson that I have Jesus in my boat, right? I have Jesus with me. There can be a storm in life, there can be all these issues, but Jesus is in my boat. Are you getting the analogy? Jesus is in my boat today. I'm righteous, I'm holy, I carry His nature, I'm a child of God. Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God, is in my boat. Amen? So I can live in His peace. The disciples learnt about peace that day. I can live in the constant peace of God because of Jesus in me. Not just Jesus on the outside, Jesus on the inside. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And then they are out in another time on the sea and Jesus isn't in their boat. And they're straining, they're rowing at the oars in Mark chapter 6, I believe it is, and they're trying to get to the other side. Anyone trying to get to the other side today? Just me. Awesome. <laughs> I didn't tell any funny jokes. As a pre- you get taught in Bible school, as a preacher, you need to tell a funny joke at the start so all the crowd gets, everyone in the congregation gets along with you. And... Uh, I often don't do that. And then I think, Lord, help. They see Jesus walking on the water. So no longer is Jesus in the boat. He's walking out on the water, upon the waves, on the raging ocean, as they're crossing, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, who is this King of glory. 
No longer is this the, the safe and meek and mild Jesus. No longer is this the, oh, Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my lover. Jesus is my bestie. He's, he's with me. That's all true. But no longer is he revealing himself as that. He's revealing himself to Peter and the disciples as the king of glory who can do the impossible. Come on. Is there someone today who has the question in their heart of who is this king of glory? I told you it's Pentecost Sunday. God wants to show you who he really is today. God wants to take you out of your timidity and passivity and tiredness and weariness. And he's coming to, coming to you today. Yes, he lives in you, but he's coming to you today as the king of glory to show you what is possible for your life. Come on, there are people in the room and you're thinking way too small, you're believing way too small, and you're living a life where God wants to shake you up and say, come on, I'm not, just, I'm not just the friendly Jesus. I'm the King of glory. I'm the one who moves mountains. I'm the one who can shift your family. I'm the one who brings revival and healing. I'm the one who can turn any situation around for the goodness and the glory of God. He comes as the king of glory, but the disciples are still in the boat. They're still in the boat. And if you know the rest of that story, Jesus comes in because they're freaking out. Has any, you often see that in church, God comes and people freak out. Because it's not the God they're used to. It's not the God who's like, oh, I'm, I'm used to a Sunday, I'm used to worship and preaching and sitting here and then I go home and I talk a little bit about God and, and have my devotional in the morning during the week, get up, coffee, devotional, go to work, come back, maybe pray for five, ten minutes. Is that, you know? And, and then, no, no, the King of Glory is coming. Come on. The King of Glory is coming today. This is, this is for you. Yeah. This is for, not the person next to you, for you. The King of Glory is coming today. But the disciples are still in the boat. The boat's a place of safety, right? Comfort. I'm in my boat. I'm happy here. Whoa, Jesus, that walking out on the wave stuff, that's, that's for you. That's for, that's, for, that's for the pastor. That's for those people who are those special people. The third time, Jesus appears on the water to the disciples they're in the boat, they're going to the other side. Jesus is out on the water and Peter has this fantastic idea and he said, Lord, if it's you, I'm not used to you as the king of glory, as seeing you as this almighty, all-powerful God, but if it's you, call me out, invite me out onto the waves to walk with you. And he says, it's me, come. And there are people today and God is calling you out. God is saying, it's time to get a whole new paradigm of who I am and what I want to do in your life. It's time not only to dream with me, but it's time to do the impossible with me.
is no longer you seeing God do it, you seeing God uh, using someone else to heal someone, you seeing God use someone to start up a business and that do really well, it's God doing it with you. You coming out on the waves. Amen? Timothy was one, a person in the Bible who whenever I read the book of Timothy, I'm there. I'm like, I get it. I get Timothy. Paul's speaking to him and, and he's leading a, 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 the church in Ephesus and that was a pretty full-on... If you think Melbourne's had a rough go of it in the last two, three years, you ought to read what was going on in that place. It's pretty full-on. Idol worship... Uh, imperial emperor worship, um, all this insane stuff. And he's leading this church and Paul says to him in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that was given to you through the laying on of my hands. Everyone should know this next bit, very popular scripture. For God has not given you a spirit of fear. Better translation for that is a spirit of timidity. God has not created you to be timid, to worry, to be shy, to shrink back in big moments, to sit back on your couch and worry, feeling like God's not going to rock up in your life. He's not created you. He hasn't given you a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Do you know why Paul said that to Timothy? Because he was timid. (laughs) He was worried. There There were legitimate concerns in his life. He had issues. We all have issues. We all have worries. We all face problems. And the devil will always come, the the kingdom of God, and so you have the kingdom of darkness, will always come, he'll always cause you to fear because he wants you to be a shy Christian, don't talk much about your faith, shrink back, you need a miracle in your life, well... You better, you better be worried. Don't step out and pray for that person. Don't believe God for that because you may get disappointed. <laughs> right? I've been through it all, so I know how people think because I've thought the same. <laughs> and there are too many timid people in the kingdom of God. I've been there. It's like you're in a conversation and it's like, oh, God could break out here, but I'd have to step out. And I don't want to. I'm a little bit tired. I know that I have to see this person the next day at work. And it's going to be awkward, God. Or, or there's, this, uh, there's this dream I have, God, but it's a bit too big and I'll put it off for 20 years down the track. Right? And Paul says to Timothy, I haven't given you, uh, the Lord hasn't given you that spirit but you have power, love, and a sound mind. God is calling you out of passivity today and timidity. Come on. 
You may think your personality type is, I'm a very quiet person. Well, I can tell you right now that when you see the King of Glory, it completely changes your whole paradigm of how you see yourself. Charles Finney, uh, born in the late 1700s, and he, um, he was the, the grandfather of, he's known as the grandfather of, revi of revivals, right? So he, he helped birth the Second Great Awakening, if you want to read about that. It's amazing in, in America. Uh, the Rochester Revival in New York. Uh, incredible, incredible miracles and healings and just boom, power of God would come. And um, he had to overcome. You want a promise of God to come forth in your life, you have to learn to break through with God. You have to learn to persevere. You have to learn to live by faith. And the main thing he had to overcome was the predominant doctrine of the day called Calvinism. And it's not all bad, but it's not all good either. Because if you place everything up to the sovereignty of God, you will do nothing for God in your life. And that was the predominant spirit of the day that he had to overcome to see breakthrough and a revival break out in that city. He had to overcome passivity. Well, it's just the Lord's will. That's just God's will. Well, there's all this evil coming, this bad stuff happening. Well, that's just God's will. It's the will of God. Will God do this? Will God do that? Well, it's up to God. It's God's will. Not in the Bible I read. You can find it there. But you can also find people who so move the heart of God that it transformed a whole city. And Finney had to overcome that. He had to learn to break through. He had to learn to push through with God. He had to learn to wrestle with God and to say, Lord, I'm not seeing this in my life, but I need to see it. I need to see it. I need to come out with you as the King of glory upon the waves, running along with you. Come on. Come on. One man in the Bible who I can always relate to because he was very emotional. <laughs> and he would often cry out to God. And he, uh, he was David. And David had to learn to overcome. He had to learn to break through with God. He had to learn to partner with God and say, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What do we know David for mostly? What's your favorite story of David? Maybe the kids are, are they listening to that one today? I don't know. <laughs> in the kids' room. He killed Goliath. He killed a giant. He killed a giant. You know, Goliath, big dude, had whole bronze armor, and bronze in the Bible is a, a picture of judgment. The, the, whole, the whole story of Goliath and Israel and David killing Goliath is a picture of how the enemy comes as the accuser to your life to try to bring judgment upon you and a guilt-driven, fear-driven theology. 
And David comes, this young boy, probably a teenager, comes onto the scene. Goliath's been taunting the nation of Israel for 40 days. Massive guy. Come, let a warrior come and face me and whoever wins this little battle will win the whole thing and our nation will serve you or your nation will serve us. Is there anyone? Goliath is saying. Is there anyone? A whole nation is paralysed. A whole nation, God's people, are fearful and they're timid. They're worried. They're concerned. They don't want to fight Goliath. God, where are you? God, where are your people? And there's this giant, there's this enemy coming against me. Where are you, Lord? And David was the man who overcame the timidity and the passivity of the day out of the lukewarmness and said, the battle is the Lord's. Is there not anyone who will go and fight this guy? Do I not have God on on. my side? Come on. Come on. And he comes up against this huge giant and he... Saul gives, his, gives him his armour. It's never a good idea to try to be someone else. It's never a good idea to try on someone else's armour and try to go to battle with that. You may look at someone's gifting and calling and think, oh God, I wish I had that, I wish I had that. God has a specific calling and anointing upon everyone's life in this room. You have to find it out. You have to seek God. You have to search it out. And you have to walk in it because it's your armor. And when you walk in that, you will take down Goliath. David says, this, does, this isn't working for me. And so he takes a sling. And how many stones? He takes five stones. Where does he get the stones from? The brook, the riverbed. Does not... Does, not Jesus say, does Jesus not say in John 7.37 that he who believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from their innermost being. What does the number five represent in the Bible? Someone give it grace. Come on. Are you getting it today? David has a sling and he hurls it at Goliath, at Goliath's head, pierces him right in the head destroys the mindset of the accuser and Goliath goes down. David goes, what does he do? Gets out the sword, cuts his head off, uses the words of the accuser against him. And where did David bury the head? Does anyone know? Where did David bury the head of Goliath? He buried it at Golgotha. Does anyone know where Jesus Christ was crucified? On Mount Golgotha. The revelation of grace has to pierce your mind if you want to walk as an overcomer and release the glory of God in your life. Amen? Amen. Come on. 
Grace releases boldness in your life. David was a man who lived out of his time. He didn't deserve to have the relationship with God that he did, especially under the law. But he lived under phenomenal grace. And so I say to the Lord, God, I'm not seeing breakthrough here. God, I, I'm wrestling here. What do I do? Grace. I need more grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. You don't need to strive more. You don't need to work harder. You need to live in more of the grace of God in your life. It was grace that took down the giant. It was the grace that the stones that David took from the brook brought down the giant, delivered a whole nation. Jesus Christ is the man of grace. And so, whenever I look at my life and I think, Lord, I do want to come out with you on the waves. I do want to run with you and, and, and do the impossible with you. But I'm a bit tired today. Maybe tomorrow. And I stop and I say, hang on, God, take me deeper. Take me deeper into the new covenant realities of grace. Amen. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, The law entered so that sin may abound or increase. But where sin increased or abounded, grace abounded all the more. Amen. Grace. Grace. Amen. Is there sin in your life today? God is saying, my grace is going to swallow it up and I'm bringing victory in your life. Are there issues in your family, issues in, in your community, in your workplace? Grace is going to come and swallow it up today. Where sin increases, sin is no match for God's grace. I'll tell you right now, sin is no, there's no competition between sin and God's grace. And you put yourself under the law and you listen to the accuser, you will never walk in victory. You will be stuck in fear and timidity. And many people still live with a guilt-driven theology. I wasn't good enough today. I missed that opportunity. God, I haven't spent time with you in a while. I feel bad. I feel guilty. And what God is saying to you today is I'm pouring out my grace upon your life so that you'll begin to realize that it's not about you. It's not about who you are. It's about who I am. I'm in your boat and now I want you to come out on the waves with me. Come on. Is there someone excited today who wants to grab a hold of that? I want to pray for people at the end of this because... I believe there's people today and you just need God to shake you up just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. And you can sit back in your chair and you can say, well, I'm happy with where I'm at with God. That's cool. No, you know, I've got Jesus and that's all good and all power to you. But, but he's the king of glory. Don't box him in in your life. 
I've been united with Christ, Paul goes on to say in Romans 6. I've been united with him in his, baptiz- uh, in, in his death. So I've been baptised into his death. And many people stop there. I, I'm forgiven, I'm made clean, I'm loved, I'm a child of God. God's for me. He's dealt with the sin issue. But the scripture goes on to say that you've been united with him in a resurrection. Amen? You've been united with him in a resurrection like his. Many people have faith that they've been united with Jesus in his death. But are you not now a co-heir with Christ? Are you not now an inheritor? You possess something. You possess a kingdom, the kingdom of God. You can invade the realm of impossibility because you possess a kingdom. Just as when Beck married me, she inherits everything I inherit in my family. You've been married to Jesus and you inherit everything Jesus the Son has inherited from the Father. Hello. That'll stir someone up today. (laughs) God is looking for a bride who will run with him. In Romans chapter 8, verse 30, it says, to those he predestined, he called. To those he called, he also justified. I'm called by God. God has a plan for my life. God is passionate about your success. He's passionate about your success. He wants you to succeed in life. Amen? I'm called. I realize that. And now I'm justified. I'm righteous. I've been justified through the blood of Jesus. I can stand before a holy God and there is nothing wrong with me. I'm justified. I've been justified. But those he justified, he also glorified. Past tense. He also glorified. Those he justified... He also glorified. This is not for some future millennial thing. Get that out of your head today. God has glorified you today because you are in Christ Jesus. You are seated with Jesus in heavenly places and there's a spirit of faith in this room that's going to shake you up today Not only am I right with God, but now I can do what God does. It doesn't mean I'm God. No way. No way. But I am a co-heir. I am his son. And I do have the ability to do what the Father can do. You need faith in your glorification today. 
You need faith in your glorification today. God doesn't share his glory with another. I get that. It's an important scripture. But you're not another. You're not just another. You're his bride. All the men in the room, I'm sorry, you're a bride. All the women are sons. So it works out well. Moses, I want to finish on Moses. Moses is another one of my favourite people who had to overcome the spirit of the day, who had to overcome fear and intimidation. He had to learn to break through. God wanted a deliverer. God wanted someone who would step up and say, I'm going to be bold for the Lord. Amen. And so he calls out Moses who has spent 40 years in a, in, a, in a small place in the wilderness outside of Egypt. And Egypt was a huge city. It was, a huge, it, was the, it was the place of power. It was the place where if you wanted to uh, get money, do well in life, go to Egypt, right? Worship a few other gods and you'll make it. And, uh, and Moses, how does God... Come to Moses. It's not a trick question. In a burning bush. He comes to Moses in a burning bush. But if you read in the Hebrew, it's a flaming thorn bush. He comes to Moses in a flaming thorn bush. Many people believe this is a Christophany, which is Jesus uh, pre-incarnate. So Jesus coming before he literally came upon the earth as a man. So Jesus comes to him in a flaming thorn bush. And what does God address in Moses' life? He addresses his thought life. What's the problem with Moses? I can't do it, Lord. Don't pick me. Pick someone else. If you read the whole of Exodus 3, 4 and 5, Moses is basically coming up with every excuse in the book why God shouldn't use him. He says at the end, yeah, God, I get all that. I get you're the king of glory. I get you're all powerful. I get you're the creator of the heavens and the earth. God, I get all that, but please use someone else. That's what he literally says. Please use someone else. Right? God is addressing his thought life. What did Jesus wear on his head on the cross? He wore a crown of thorns. Why did he wear a crown of thorns? Have you ever asked yourself that? To reverse the curse. To reverse man's cursed way of thinking independently of God. There are too many people today who you look at your life, your future, everything you're facing right now, and you are thinking with the mind of man. You are thinking independently of God. And Jesus wore a crown of thorns upon his head at the cross. He bled from his skull to redeem man's cursed way of thinking so that we now possess, someone give it to me, the mind of Christ. Come on. We now possess the mind of Christ. Why do I need God's mind if I already have his spirit? 
because I need to learn to think like God. I need to learn to think like God in my life. I need to learn in every situation, what is the mind of God? How's God going to respond to this? What is God thinking about me? What is God thinking about this sickness that I'm facing? What is God thinking about what's going on in my business, in my family, and in this city? God, what are you thinking? He wants to destroy the mind of man that you've elevated in your life. Every thought he wants you to take captive to the obedience of Christ so that you'll begin to think like him. And Moses delivers a whole nation because God's with him and because he begins to think like God. There's a reason he came in the flaming thorn bush. And the reason is, is he says, Moses, I'm giving you an encounter, but if you don't think differently after this encounter you will never see my promises come forth in your life. And Moses had to come up against 10 principalities in Egypt. It was going to be a battle. And so God's saying, if you're not going to think like me in Egypt, then Egypt's just going to get into you. Amen. And so God wants us to begin to think like him. I've had that in my life. Have you ever captured the thoughts of God for your life? Have you ever done that? Have you ever had a snapshot of, God, this, this is what you think about me. This is, what, this is your dream for my life. This is what you're believing. The, the, in uh, Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 2, so Song of Songs, Solomon wrote it, but it's a prophetic picture of Christ and his church. Not just a book for all the married people in the room doesn't work anyway. I haven't tried it, but it doesn't work. wouldn't work. <laughs> and and the, the Shulamite, she's in her bed in Song of Songs, chapter 5. She's comfortable in her room. And, and the, the king comes to the Shulamite and he comes and he knocks on the door and it says in Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 2, it says... I slept, but my heart was awake. Is someone using your imagination now? I slept, but my heart was awake. My lover was knocking at the door. But she stays in her bed. She doesn't want to come out. It's, it's, I'm comfortable. God, I'm just I'm comfortable with where I'm at. I'm just I'm happy with my life, you know. It's pretty good. I know I could go out and run with you, but there's just some things I've got to get sorted in my life first. Netflix is on tonight. Watch Netflix. And he knocks on the door and he says, come out. Come out and run with me. Come out, my lover, and run with me upon the mountaintops. Come on, God is awakening people today to run with him upon the mountaintops, to believe for the impossible, to believe that God could actually do it in my life, to overcome discouragement, to overcome disappointment, to overcome timidity, and to say, Lord, I'm going to come out and I'm going to run with you today. 
In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus comes to the church and this isn't an issue of salvation. So when you read about the lukewarmness of the church and Jesus spitting them out of his mouth, that's not an issue of salvation. It's an issue of influence. What he's really saying is, is if you want to live in passivity and timidity and in lukewarmness, you will lose your influence in a city. And no longer will I be able to hurl you out of, no longer will you be in my mouth and be able to speak my words, but I'll have to spit you out. You'll have no influence. Not an issue of salvation, so you can get rid of your fear-driven theology there, right? When you read that book, get rid of your fear-driven theology. And he comes and he says, I'm coming to you and I'm knocking on the door, right, of the church. I'm knocking on the door of the heart. And if anyone opens to me, I will come and I will eat with them. I'll eat a meal with them, me and you together. What is that meal for? It's communion with God. It's an awakening in your life to see that no longer is he meek and mild Jesus, though he is, he's the lamb, but he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah who actually wants to use you to transform the lives of people around you. Is this hitting home for anyone today? Come on. Is this speaking to anyone in the room? That God wants to use you. David wasn't a very neat guy. Didn't have his life all in order. Probably didn't have the greatest character. Neither was Moses, a very timid and shy man. But God says, I'm calling you out of your passivity today. I want you to awaken to myself in you and upon you. Amen? Amen. So why don't you stand with me and let's pray. It is Pentecost Sunday and I know the Holy Spirit wants to come and touch people's lives. And I don't want to do all the work. So you need to pray with me. Come on. You need to pray with me. If that message spoke to you, you need to do something. You need, you need to lift your hands. You need to, you, you need, you, you need to pray. Pray in tongues, pray in the Spirit, whatever it is. But the Lord is here. He's good. He loves you. And so, Father, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for your passionate heart for every single person today. I thank you for your promises. I thank you, Father, for your plans. I thank you, Lord, for every prophecy spoken over their lives and my life. And so, Lord, I pull on the promises of heaven. We welcome you into this place, Holy Spirit. We welcome you as the healer. We welcome you as the deliverer. We welcome you, Lord, as the, as the one who comes and sets us free. We welcome you, Lord, as the one who sets us free from ourselves. We welcome you, Lord, as the mighty God 
who runs upon the mountaintops and calls us out with you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you that you baptize people in your spirit, Lord. We thank you for the gift of tongues. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the gifts of your spirit today. And I pray, Father, that your promises, those dreams that have been put on the shelf for people will come alive again in Jesus' name. Breathe upon them, Holy Spirit. Breathe upon them, Holy Spirit. There's someone in the room and your, your kid has no idea what they want to do in their life. They're in a place in their life, I'm not going to say an age, but they're not sure what they want to do and they have, there's a lot of pressure on them to make a decision. And I sense the heart of God to pray for them in the secret place because the Lord is releasing dreams and visions upon their life. That is the language of the Spirit, dreams and visions. I felt that for someone in the room. There's another person and your child has a learning disability. And I'm believing God showed that because He wants to break that off them. And so, Father, we pray for that right now. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that your promise is a sound mind. And so we declare a sound mind upon that family and upon that child in Jesus' mighty name. I thank you for it, Lord. And there was another person I was sensing while I was praying, you're on uh, medication for a mental health issue. And... Uh, and that's a, that's a sensitive thing. I don't want you to come out now, but I would love to pray for you at the end. I'd love you to come up to me at the end because I'm believing that God's going to deliver you from that as well. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, for every single person that you would light the fire in their hearts, God. That you would... Come and, and burn up the living sacrifice, Holy Spirit. That, there, that every box that we place you in will be broken open. That that ceiling upon their lives will be smashed through. The ceiling created by religion, by wrong theology, by fear, by guilt. That that shall break off right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your grace in this place. Thank you, Lord.